This episode of New Politics was released on the 21st of January, 2023, and produced on the land of the Wangal and Wajak people. Welcome to New Politics. In this episode, the beginning of the end of Dominic Perrottet's political career in New South Wales and the disastrous legacy of George Pell. I'm Eddie Djokovic, editor of New Politics. I'm David Lewis, beta male cuck NPC. And if you'd like to support New Politics, you can support us through a Patreon subscription. But whether it's a subscription or if you just want to listen in, read our material online or buy a T-shirt or buy a book, it's all available at newpolitics.com.au and all of this is a good way to support independent journalism. So David, last week we talked about how the most interesting part of politics is the events that just appear out of nowhere and when you least expect them, but I don't think many of us would have thought that the major discussion point this week would have been the Premier of New South Wales wearing a Nazi costume to his 21st birthday party. Dominic Perrottet claims that he was naive and didn't really understand the consequences of his action at the time, but to put this all in context, Dominic Perrottet is 40 years old today, which means that his 21st was held in 2003, and at that time he was a member of the Young Liberals, he was in third year of university, and any reasonable person with half a brain would realise that wearing a Nazi costume to their 21st birthday party is probably not the wisest thing to do, especially if you've got political aspirations. But a lot of this has got nothing to do with the costume itself, it's more to do with political payback and who's going to lead the right faction of the Liberal Party after a likely election loss at the New South Wales state election in March? The first thing we probably should explain is that we don't often do state politics, and we're both essentially New South Wales residents. But this isn't about, oh, look how important New South Wales is. The New South Wales Liberal government is the last of that far-right neoliberal Morrison-esque, coming out of Howard, Liberal Party. If they lose the election, it means that that movement is dead. The Tasmanian Liberal Party, the other Liberal government in Australia currently, is not that. Perrottet is the last of the economically dry, far-right, by Australian standards, government that is being rejected at a state level. And that someone from within the party, and probably someone who was at the 21st, has threatened him with leaking that photo, is extremely interesting. Perrottet is only there because the moderate wing threw their numbers behind him, and I don't know why they did. He was unfit to be treasurer. When he was running ICARE, it was one of the great scandals of Australian political history. They lost a billion dollars money that should have gone to injured people on workers' compensation, and it all disappeared. And Perrottet was running that. He should have been kicked out of Parliament then, kicked out of the party, kicked out of probably a free life at home and sent to jail and even exiled from New South Wales. He's never been any good. Don't let anyone ever tell you he has. Worse than Gladys Berejiklian, who admittedly 
Nobody quite realised how bad she was till ICAC started sniffing around. Worse than Mike Baird, who was terrible. Worse than Barry O'Farrell. So Perrottet ends up getting the support of the moderate faction, gets into Parliament, bumbles along. I don't think there's a better word for it. And then two months before an election that he's not likely to win. When I say not likely, that was a 60% chance. There was still a pretty decent chance that he was going to scrape back in for another term. He's presented with this photo. Now, we know the photo exists because if it didn't exist, he would have plausible deniability. And this is a man who has used that tactic a lot. He got onto the front foot, unusually, and apologised to everybody, rang the Jewish community, and there's been a range of reactions from, okay, fair enough, don't do it again, through to, this isn't really good enough. The other interesting thing, too, is that it's not really about how he behaved at his 21st. This is a guy who was telling everyone he'd be Prime Minister by the time he was 40 or Premier by the time he was 40, uh, when he was 21. So it was an incredibly short-sighted, baffling move that says more to his sense of privilege and entitlement than it does to any sense of political ideology or political nous. Well, the other factor is that Dominic Perrottet, he didn't really need to come out and make this announcement. But as you suggested, it seems obvious that someone in the Liberal Party, more than likely his own faction, has decided to make some mischief out of this. And it's also ridiculous for Dominic Perrottet to suggest that he didn't understand the consequences of his actions at the age of 21. And you suggested before, he was telling everyone that he'd be the Premier or Prime Minister at the age of 40. And I'm pretty sure that it's more about that libertarian approach to life that the young Liberals love to have, that right to offend people, to be racist or to wear offensive outfits. And Dominic Perrottet's 21st, well, that must have been a really fun night. But there would have been a lot of other young Liberals attending that as well. And I'm sure that someone else probably would have dressed up as an Indigenous American or rolled up in blackface or something else equally as offensive. And David, I'm really sorry that we missed out on this big party, but Perrottet's actions now, this is all a political tactic. And Perrottet has decided that it's better to look like a fool in 2023 now, just to try and prove that he wasn't a fool 20 years ago. But the other factor is that, well, how do we judge leaders on their past behaviours? And I I don't actually want leaders to be a complete saint, but if there was a photo of Dominic Perrottet smoking a joint or or being drunk from 20 years ago, that probably would have been received differently. And everyone does something silly in their lifetime that they go on to regret later on, but not everyone is the Premier of New South Wales. And the Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, he had that scandal several years ago, just before a general election. And there was a photo of Trudeau that surfaced in blackface from a high school annual 20 years before that and that really tarnished his image which had been quite impeccable up until that time that scandal continued for some time he still managed to win that election in Canada but he had a great deal of political capital before all of that happened and Dominic Perrottet virtually doesn't have any political capital at all and from now on it's just going to be very difficult to imagine Dominic Perrottet without a Nazi costume. It's almost like nobody has to say anything else at all from this point onwards because it's an image that's going to stick with him. I just checked my diary for the night. I was invited, but unfortunately I'd already booked myself in to drink bleach. So I didn't go in the end because I had a higher priority. But in all seriousness, whether it was a fun night or a not fun night, and I know that a lot of us here would have our opinions on that, 
There's talk that the photo features other members of parliament, both federally and state, and prominent business people in embarrassing costumes. Now, of course, 21st costumes are rarely dignified and astute. The sense is, is that it wasn't just leaked to the public because it might damage others. I can't speak any more to that. I haven't seen the photo. And really what it goes down to is that what I alluded to before, that it's the death throes of the Liberal Party as a Howardist creation, as a projection of the hard right, the dries, if you like, the neoliberals, if you like, the libertarian wing. This is dying. Matthew Guy in Victoria is probably a worse candidate than Perrottet, if if you could believe that, got a fairly significant electoral kicking. It didn't destroy the party in Victoria like I thought it might have, but they certainly have a long way to come back from. Queensland, Western Australia, forget about it. They're not coming back, not without a major restructure and a major look at the broader philosophy of what the party should be. We're in the middle of a pandemic. The Liberal Party is seen as being too close to various vested interests. In New South Wales, it's property developers and gambling outlets. And this is where the Perrottet issue stems from. Perrottet had promised to bring in certain measures to help stem gambling. I don't think they were terribly effective measures, but there was this slight adjustment to how gambling has been dealt with in New South Wales. And a certain senior minister's son works for one of the big gambling companies. But basically, the faction that supports untrammeled gambling thought that Dominic Perrottet went too far. And so they've threatened him with his job. But I guess that's one of the issues that's being overlooked here. And I think that everyone's had their fun with the Nazi costume and, hey, look at this idiot wearing a Nazi outfit during his 21st birthday party. But the biggest story is that all of this, that whole nexus between the Liberal Party factions and and gambling industries in New South Wales, it's just an indication of how dysfunctional the New South Wales branch of the Liberal Party actually is. And we have to remember that Liberal Party members took their own party to the Supreme Court to resolve pre-selection issues last year and the New South Wales division of the Liberal Party was temporarily dissolved and headed by Scott Morrison and Dominic Perrottet. So this might be some political payback for the actions of the New South Wales right last year. It might have to do with the gambling issues as well. But the even Mm. bigger issue is that the factions in the New South Wales Liberal Party, they're out of control. And once a political party starts behaving like this, that's the end of that political party as far as being in government is concerned. And we've seen this story before. That's exactly what New South Wales Labor was like between 2009 and 2011. They forgot how to govern. They were navel-gazing, more interested in in their own factional battles. And I've always had the opinion that those final years of the Labor government between 2009 and 2011 in New South Wales, they were the worst that I've ever seen until we came across the final years of the Morrison government. And I think that the Perrottet government is probably even the worst out of all of them. And despite everything that I've just said, the Liberal Party could still win the New South Wales election in March. And I can't see how or why or what they'd even do if they did win the election again, but it's always a possibility. But even still, it does seem that the New South Wales Liberal Party has resigned itself to an election loss and it's now starting to work out who shares the spoils of defeat after March. And they definitely don't want Dominic Perrottet 
to be a part of that. And the moderates in the Liberal Party want to make sure that the New South Wales right has a severe defeat, so it makes it harder for them to come back in the future. Yeah. Close listeners of this podcast will understand that I don't hate the Liberal Party and I'm always going to be supportive, even when I fundamentally disagree, of people who are putting the country over the party, the party over themselves. Oh, well, also, David, we don't hate anyone here. No, we don't hate anyone. That's right. (laughs) And the decent, honourable members of the party who've worked very hard to try and make Australia better wrongheadedly <laughs> and i feel the same for well, every honest party labor greens nationals and i know that there are dishonest people in nationals i know that there are dishonest people in in labor smaller parties one nation is a bit different one nation seems to be structured so it becomes a money earning concern for pauline hansen and, and the leadership in terms of electoral payment based on first preference uh, payments. That aside, the moderates in the Liberal Party have finally decided enough is enough. Now, I'd have said to them, had they rung me, to not support Perrottet. After I care, he has showed himself as completely incompetent, completely dishonest, and probably corrupt as a minister. And it's funny how his name kept coming up in the Gladys Berejiklian ICAC proceedings. He seemed to be always in the picture. So I suspect there's a lot more that will be said about him, particularly when this other report, which isn't due out till after the election. Oh, how'd that happen? I think that, that the moderates are going to, there's going to be a lot of regret. We'll put it that way. And also, just as a bit of a side issue, this drama has also brought up some of those historical links to Nazism and fascism in Australia, and it's almost like a forgotten ideology in Australia, as though it never happened. But there was an extreme right-wing and fascist movement in Australia, and that was the New Guard in the 1930s, and it did have a membership of around 50,000 people during its peak, And but, but it seems that its sole purpose seemed to be to get rid of Jack Lang, the New South Wales Premier at the time, and once he was removed as Premier by the Governor in 1932, their membership started to fall apart and they disbanded in 1935. They actually did contest a few elections, but they only won 0.6% of the vote. And we can see that their influence seems to be fairly minimal, so we're not talking about Nazi Germany or Mussolini-level fascism here in Australia. And some people have suggested that fascism has reappeared in the 21st century in Australia through people such as John Howard, Tony Abbott, Scott Morrison or Peter Dutton or the One Nation Party. Now, I'd say that these people do have fascist attributes, but I wouldn't call them Nazis or fascists. And just because... Dominic Perrottet wore a Nazi costume, although I wouldn't call him a Nazi, although you'd have to ask, well, why was he wearing it in the first place? Now, the media has tried to play all of this down and suggesting that it was just a bit of fun, but I think that the more we play it down and the more we play down any histories of fascism in Australia, and I'm not suggesting that Australia is on the verge of being the Fourth Reich or a hotbed of Nazism, there are some fringe elements that do exist in Australia today, but I think that we do have to be careful how we manage these issues in Australia when they do arise. It is very interesting because one thing I'll point out... The New Guard took its modelling from um, Oswald Mosley's black shirts in Britain during pre-war and and the war. Eric Campbell led the New Guard in New South Wales and he was considered a bit of nouveau riche with two phones on his desk and always 
shooting his mouth off. There was also an old guard, which is a little bit more interesting because it contained far more prominent, more entrenched people. And it was run through RSLs, which was really interesting. The new guard, of course, was most famous for Francis de Groot riding up and cutting the ribbon on the Sydney Harbour Bridge instead of Jack Lang. So this history of fascism in Australia is a bit more complex than, than we're told about, and it's worth chasing up. For those of you who are of a literary bent, D.H. Lawrence's Kangaroo is a fictionalised account of the New Guard and the Old Guard and how they worked in New South Wales. But I think the upshot of all of this is that the New South Wales Liberal National Coalition, they're likely to lose the March election. They were likely to lose the next election anyway before all of this occurred. New South Wales Labor appears to be a credible alternative under Chris Minns. There's probably enough distance between Labor of today and the disaster of their final term in office between 2007 and 2011. The influence of Eddie Obeid or groups affiliated with Eddie Obeid have almost been completely removed from the Labor Party. But it looks like a Nazi costume from 20 years ago has probably sealed and delivered a likely election loss for the New South Wales Liberal Party. I think so. And I think you can bet too that New South Wales Labor are now going through photos of all their prominent people from when they were 21 just to make sure that there's not a similar scandal. To be fair, I don't think there is, but you can bet that photo albums and old iPhone files are being heavily scrutinised. You're listening to New Politics. You can subscribe to us on Apple or Google Podcasts, listen through Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud and Amazon Music, or you can find us at newpolitics.com.au. And you can now support New Politics through Patreon. Whenever I'm down, I call on you, my friend. A helping hand you lend in my time of need. Whenever I'm down, I call on you, my friend. I call on you, my friend. I call on you, my friend. Listen, listen. George Powell died last week and the response has been according to political lines. Conservative MPs and mainstream media, especially News Corporation, have lauded George Powell as a saint of our times and running reams of favourable coverage about how he was persecuted for his beliefs when he spent 18 months in a Victoria jail. The other side of politics has had a different perspective, probably best highlighted by Daniel Andrews when he was asked whether there would be a state funeral in Victoria. No, and there won't be a state memorial service. I couldn't think of anything that would be more distressing for victim survivors than that. I think, more importantly, at what will be a very challenging time for victim survivors to send the clearest possible message that we see you, we believe you, we support you, and you are at the centre of not only our thoughts, not only our words, but our actions. 
we should never forget, never ever forget, that uh, predator brothers and priests were systematically moved around, knowingly, was part of a strategy from one working class parish to the next. We should never ever forget that. And we will never ever forget. There's no question that George Powell was a hero for conservative interests in Australia. He was supported by the Institute of Public Affairs. He was supported by Rupert Murdoch. And when he died during the week, he was lauded by Tony Abbott, Peter Dutton, John Howard, Michael Sukar, Joe Hockey. But they've all overlooked so many issues. George Powell wasn't a hero at all. He failed to report child sexual abuse in Ballarat. He practiced that long-held Catholic tradition of moving offending priests from one parish to another. He wasn't interested in listening to the victims of child sexual abuse. There were a number of allegations of historical child sexual abuse that never actually made it to court. Powell was found guilty of child sexual abuse in Victoria before the High Court overturned the decision 18 months later. He was also a climate change sceptic and wanted to reduce the role of women within the Catholic Church. George Powell was a seriously flawed character and signified everything that is wrong with the Catholic Church in Australia, and it would have been better if his supporters had acknowledged this as well. Firstly, I, I guess we should acknowledge the victims of the policies that Pell pursued. He brought in the notion of the church just basically keeping the proceedings going until the victims could not afford to go to court anymore. He was accused multiple times of abusing younger members of his parish, and this is what he went to court for, was found guilty by a Victorian jury, but the case was found to be lacking on a technicality. The other thing I should, I guess, acknowledge is that we're not here to disparage anyone's genuine individual faith and the journey that you may or may not have taken to have an individual faith. The Catholic Church does have many decent members. I know a lot of whom are horrified by what has happened and struggle with their loyalty to the church. But the primary duty of care here, I think, is to victims, to which my heart breaks thinking about all of this stuff. And the main thing is that they get some kind of peace and and resolution within their life, which some haven't. And this is ultimately the legacy of George Pell, the hardline conservative, in general, nothing wrong with that, who used his power to oppress the broken, the victims of predatory monsters who abused their power for the most base and awful aims and ends. And that is what George Pell will be remembered for long term. Conservative media interests, it's mainly been News Corporation and the Australian newspaper, and they've almost been behaving like the Catholic mafia, and they've strongly been pushing that line that George Pell was found innocent by the High Court and all of this was a lie. Well, no, they ruled that the evidence provided in court wasn't to a high enough standard. So it was overturned on a technicality, as you suggested, David. And legal scholars have suggested that this was a very unusual decision. The High Court accepted that the evidence provided by the complainant was truthful, but they weren't satisfied by the standard of the evidence. Even though George Powell was originally found to be guilty of child sexual abuse by a jury, and the decision by the jury was upheld by the Victoria Supreme Court, but 
That's how the legal system works. Everyone's got a right to take their appeal to the High Court. But the High Court didn't make an adjudication that George Powell was innocent. And that's neither here nor there because essentially it's the same result. But Conservative MPs seem to be falling over themselves trying to get in a good word for George Powell. But he was a lot more to them than just being a right-wing ideologue. Politically, he kept that link between the Catholic Church and the Liberal Party. So there was a political benefit in saying wonderful things about George Powell. It's almost like a thank you note. But most of this seemed to be not reading the room very well at all. And sure, George Powell has got his supporters, but he was a repulsive man. He could have done a lot more to support the victims of child sexual abuse, but he chose to support the church. He could have paid out a lot more in compensation to the victims of child sexual abuse, but he chose to make it as difficult as possible and chose to make it as literal as possible as well. So these are the standards that News Corporation and Liberal Party MPs and former MPs are choosing to accept. Essentially, through their support of George Powell, they're accepting that pedophilia within the Catholic Church and the acts of child sexual abuse perpetrated by priests and brothers in religious institutions is okay. And we do have to uh, make that distinction between the religion of Catholicism and the institution of the Catholic Church as well. There's a completely different perspective there. So after a week where they tried to downplay the New South Wales Premier wearing a Nazi costume, they've completely overlooked the actions of George Powell. And you're just left wondering, well, what are the standards that they will not accept? You know, what extreme and repulsive actions from your own side of policies will make them finally stand up and say, well, hang on, that's not acceptable anymore? And you're right, from their own side. You can bet that a senior minister forgets to sign a claims form or puts on the wrong date or something from the Labor side and they jump up and down like they're the most principled, never-made-a-mistake people ever in their life. Pell died the same week as both Renee Geyer and Jeff Beck, two musicians of exceptional talent who brought a lot of joy to their fans whose loss, at least musically, was deeply felt. And, of course, to their friends and family, deeply felt. But I'm t- talking to the people who didn't know them. It was a contrast with Pell. When you look at the legacy, the legacy is all negative. It was all awful. It was all horrifying. Yet with the other two, tragic and too soon, both of them, deaths, there's a legacy there of bringing positive things to people and to people they didn't know, which I don't think we can say that about George Pell. And it's uncomfortable talking about a recently dead person like this, but his legacy is so awful and so negative. It's hard to think of anything positive to say. Well, that's exactly the point. We can't gloss over all of these horrible things that have happened in the past and perpetrated by a person who has recently died. But there's always going to be a political dimension to all of this as well. There was a severe hatred of liberal Catholics by Pell and that small L liberals, a hatred of all of those people who were trying to reform the church and make it more relevant to today's world. And this means that because Pell had a hatred of liberal Catholics, well, so did the Australian newspaper and so did the News Limited as well. And it's just this hardline acceptance of the Catholic dogma by so many of its journalists, including Paul Kelly and Greg Sheridan. And it just seems that whatever sense they might have, it just goes out the window when it comes to reporting on the Catholic Church. And the Catholic Church seems to want to forget about all of this as well. During the week at St Mary's Cathedral in Sydney, and that's where George Powell's funeral is going to be held in early February, and it's also where he was the Archbishop of Sydney for 13 years. 
The people who wanted to remember the victims of child sexual abuse, and that's the point that you brought up at the beginning, David, they wanted to tie coloured ribbons to the fence surrounding St Mary's Cathedral, and as soon as the ribbons went up, someone from the church came out to take them down. And this has been going on all of this week. Ribbons go up on the fence surrounding St Mary's Cathedral. The church comes out to take all of these down, up and down, up and down. But even these small measures, just a reminder that the Catholic Church and George Powell allowed some hideous crimes against children to be committed, not even this small gesture will be allowed by the church. And this is what the Catholic Church wants to forget. There were 4,444 victims of child sexual abuse committed by priests and brothers between 1980 and 2015, and that's just the number that we know about. There were 4,756 reported claims of abuse and 1,880 suspected abusers within the Catholic Church. And George Powell was one of those under suspicion. 7% of all priests were abusers and 61% of all child sexual abuse in religious institutions occurred in Catholic churches. So as you pointed out, David, this is George Powell's legacy. That's what he should be remembered for, not some glorified ideologue who was more interested in protecting an outdated and destructive religious institution. One wonders what they would think of the figure of Jesus Christ as presented in the Gospels, the Jesus who spent his time hanging around tax collectors and lepers and prostitutes and washing the feet of those who were lesser of him and tipping over the tables in the marketplace. If that Jesus was to turn up in Sydney, I suspect the first place he'd go would be either one of the hospitals to visit with the sick or Villawood uh, Refugee Centre. Or be sent off to jail. I, I think he'd be arrested by the time he got halfway to wherever he was going. It goes to show, I guess, that it doesn't matter what's written down. People will read what they want from it. And I should also add I'm not a believer. You know, I'm agnostic, really. But I'm aware of the New Testament and the Old Testament and some of the messages they put so it, it's interesting that a man with all that influence within the church used it to enrich the church, not to help the poor, not to give support to the needy, not to give sympathy to those who need it, but to make sure that the church maintained its immense and vast wealth. Now, I realise that this is unlikely to happen, but the Liberal Party needs to remove that link between itself and the conservative elements of the Catholic Church. And we can see it in New South Wales with the link between the New South Wales Premier, Dominic Perrottet, and Opus Dei. And that's a conservative subset of the Catholic Church, although there hasn't actually been any evidence of his actions as Premier being influenced by his involvement in Opus stable, maybe the Nazi costume might have been some of that evidence, but there's also religious elements in the Victorian South Australia branches of the Liberal Party. I think that we just need to make those boundaries between the church and the state a lot clearer. Politics over here, churches over there, and stay in your own corners and everyone can stay happy. And now, I'm not expecting the Catholic Church to change overnight, either internationally or in Australia, and maybe it never will. But both the Liberal Party and the Catholic Church, they do need to reform if they are to adapt to the modern world. But they'll probably miss these opportunities to make these reforms. It's right, I guess. It's certainly appropriate that a politician can be shaped by their ethical beliefs and that they can make decisions based on, well, my ethical beliefs 
I'll pick something outside of the realm of most Christianity. My ethical beliefs are that we don't hurt animals at all. We don't exploit animals. So I'm a vegan and any legislation that I look at will be seen through these eyes. What is the best thing for animal non-exploitation? That's perfectly okay. If one of two things happen, they bring that in and use that to the detriment of the rest of the country. And I can't really see any of the vegans I know would do that, but bear with me. (laughs) They decide that we are going to impose that nobody is allowed to eat meat. Nobody is allowed to use any animal product whatsoever. And we're shutting down all farms and replacing them with national parks. And the animals will just be let free to run themselves. There we have a problem because that's not within the the broad majority of Australian values, I think. And this this is the difference. And this is what people do with their religion. We live in a multicultural, multi-religious society. It's why it's a secular society. So no religion is primary. And you get hardline Christians come in and say, yep, it's one step from saying we pass this legislation because this is our belief to no other religion can have a say in this. The Muslim community, the Jewish community, you're the wrong religion, you're out of here. And it leads to a theocracy, and we don't want that. Dominic Perrottet has been cunning enough to be very careful with using his beliefs as a way to obviously shape his premiership. Partly, I think that's because if he goes too far, the moderates would just remove their their numbers. I think he's also smart enough to know that most New South Wales voters aren't interested in an Opus Day run state. He may have been playing a long game. That game is over. Even if they win the election, I don't think he will survive as Premier unless they win by a landslide. Very similar to Scott Morrison in 2022. So it's going to be interesting to see how the legacy of Pell develops. The other thing too, Ray Hadley was very critical of Pell. It's not all right-wing journalists. It's really just News Corp. And there are some interesting wrinkles in News Corp. It's it's a fairly Catholic organisation and a fairly conservative Catholic organisation in, in many ways. We'll see how his legacy pans out. But again, I think they're on the wrong side of history. That's it for this episode of New Politics. Thanks for listening in. And if you'd like to support our style of journalism and commentary, please make a donation at our website at newpolitics.com.au. We don't beg, plead, beseech or gaslight you about journalism coming to an end. We just keep it very simple. If you like what we do, please send some support our way. It keeps our commitment to independent journalism ticking along. I'm Eddie Djokovic. Thanks for listening in and it's goodbye to our listeners. I'm David Lewis. We'll see you next time.